0: Welcome to the Restoration Church podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com/slash this week. I was thinking as we were singing, you know what's happening, as you've probably noticed in the news and seen what's going on at Asbury, calling it uh, an outpouring. And what I love about the local church, as much as we celebrate and love what God is doing there, is that if that's an outpouring, every week the local church is the wellspring. It is the spring of life that still flows. It may not be big and beautiful and wonderful every single week, but we can come together knowing But that living water is there. It's here. We have it. It's available to us here and now. And so when we gather, as simple and as ordinary as these moments may be, as simple and ordinary as this room is and the conversations we have and the fun that happens here, the same God, the same Spirit is available, the same living water is here, and it's just being hungry enough to receive it. That's good news. It's good news I don't have to work it up. It's good news that you don't have to sing loud enough for God to show up. It's good news He's already here. Amen? Good news. Well, I want to begin today by asking a question that lays the foundation for where we are headed today on this Transfiguration Sunday in the church calendar. This question I want you to ponder here first as we begin, hopefully stir something in you. It's this. How do you see Jesus differently today than you did five years ago? Think about that. And I'm not asking how your theology has shifted or changed, although that, that certainly can be connected, but how do you see Jesus differently now than you did five years ago? I, I would imagine that a lot of our answers to this question are dependent on the the streams of faith that maybe some of us have come out of. I know that for some of my more theologically conservative friends, the idea that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which is true, means that surely our theology should be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Although some of my progressive friends, I would say, when we think about these questions, think that oftentimes a continuation of change is almost sacramental. It is, if you haven't actually landed on anything, that's where you're supposed to be, that when we find something we know and we hold on to, but that's somehow backwards and regressive. I, I believe that neither one of these visions give us what it means to grow in how we see Jesus differently. Years ago, I was wrestling with this on how my own understanding of Jesus had shifted over the the, the past several years with lots of different changes that have happened in my life and my journey and struggles and failures, all sorts of things. And someone asked me that question. They asked me, has your faith evolved? And I, I thought about it, but that word that I kept coming, getting, getting, getting hung up on was this idea of evolution because that centered me in the conversation. And the more I thought about it, I responded to him this way and that, I feel like if you could describe my faith journey and how things have changed, it's like I'm standing at the foot of a beautiful mountain. I'm looking at this big, beautiful mountain before me. It is gorgeous. But where I'm standing at the foot of this mountain, I can only see in part the fullness of its beauty, right? I could only see what I could see from where I was standing. And so if I stayed where I was, I'd miss out on so many places, high and low, so many different views of the very same mountain that I got to explore further if I was willing to step out from where I was in this moment. So in order for me to grow, I had to go. I had to survey the fullness of what I could see around the beauty of this mountain, the heights, the deepest places to get the fullest picture possible of how beautiful it could be. It wasn't walking away to a different mountain. It was seeing the same mountain with different eyes. And there's a difference. And I think that's how I'd answer that question today, how I see Jesus differently, is that I see more of him. Not that he's changed. Not that my theology has necessarily shifted all that much, but Jesus has gotten bigger. Jesus has grown in me. And that's where we are in this Matthew 17 passage here today on this Transfiguration Sunday, the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany. We're going to look at this together. This is one of the strangest, weirdest stories in all of the Bible, and that's why we get to look at it today. I love looking at the weird stuff and being able to pick that stuff apart. I love it. And so let's look here, Matthew 17 together on the screen again, and let's break this down together. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Now, let's pause right here. There's three disciples mentioned. These are Jesus' closest friends and disciples. But I want to give our attention today as we walk through this passage to Peter. Now notice the first three words that we see in this passage are after six days. So that's a clue as we study this to look back what happened before this. Because if it's after six days, if it's being that specific, something must have went down, right? And so we look backwards in chapter 16, and we see a monumental occasion in the life of Peter. Two monumental occasions back to back. So looking back at chapter 16, first we see Peter in his triumph, and then we see Peter at his worst. First we see there, it says, What about you? Jesus says, He asked, Who do you say that I am? This is the question being asked of Simon Peter as he answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. But by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is a moment of triumph and clarity for Peter. He has been receiving from the Holy Spirit the identity of who Jesus is. And imagine the affirmation of hearing from Jesus on this rock, on this confession that you make. I'm going to build my church on that. What a moment. But literally just a few verses later, things turn for the worst. It gets a little weird. Jesus expounds on what this means as Peter is talking about this Messiahship. But Jesus doesn't meet his expectations because Jesus says, you know, yes, you're right, Peter, but... I am going to suffer. I'm going to be given over unto death. I'm going to be crucified, and on the third day, I will rise again. And then Peter does not like that. Peter then rebukes Jesus. Now imagine having the guts to rebuke Jesus. But that's what happens. Verse 22 and verse 23 in chapter 16. Say, so Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he says. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, as you hear this, now I want this to be clear, because when When Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, he's not making a statement about Jesus' identity. This is not an accusation against Peter. What he is doing is naming where Peter's ideas have their root. Jesus is not saying, you are Satan. That's that's not the way God works in accusation and, and shame. He is naming in Peter, in these words, where they find their root and that evil. But it's all the the same, very shocking to hear. We go from you are blessed and the church is being built on your confession to get behind me, Satan, in five verses. That is a roller coaster. So when we see those words as we begin our passage today, after six verses, Days, we're talking about less than a week from what was probably one of the spiritual high points of Peter's life and what was probably one of the low points as well. Both a moment for him of profound clarity and also a moment of absolute confusion, of heartache, of struggle. And so now that we know that, let's look again now as we enter into Matthew 17. It says, After six days, Jesus took took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, It is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, I'm guessing that transfigured is not a word you regularly use as you're talking to people, right? This is an interesting word. The word we have in the Greek is metamorphou, where we get the word what? Metamorphosis. This is a word that is not very common in the New Testament, but it has deep meaning that we will return to. What in the world is actually happening here though? Because this is weird. It's important to understand that Jesus first is not becoming something that he has not been before. Jesus is entering into in the fullness of how we understand who he is. Instead, Peter, James, and John, they're seeing Jesus as he's always been before. St. John of Damascus, one of the church fathers, writes about this. He says, Christ is transfigured, not by putting on some quality he did not possess previously, nor by changing into something he never was before, but by revealing to his disciples what he truly was, in opening their eyes and in giving sight to those who were blind. For while remaining identical to what he had been before, he appeared to his disciples in his splendor. He is indeed the true light, the radiance of glory. So suddenly and supernaturally, Jesus' closest disciples see him as he truly is. Not because of something they did. They did not graduate to a higher plane of spirituality. It's not because they obeyed their way into the, you know, the VIP room of Jesus's revelation. That is not what is taking place. In fact, look at Peter. Peter at this moment is less than a week away from being called Satan by Jesus, or at least his words in that accusation, and yet this is the moment he gets to see Jesus as he truly is, not at the heights, but at the low point, when things are as confusing as they have ever been. He's given a new way to see the same Jesus. All of us, I would put forth, my friends, all of us continually need new ways of seeing the same Jesus, new ways of seeing how big Jesus can be. And looking at these three movements together, it reminds me of something that Walter Brueggemann, he's an Old Testament scholar, in his writing on the Psalms, he talks about the three movements, the three seasons of faith that we all find ourselves in. Here's what he says. He says, I suggest that our life of faith consists of moving with God in terms of, A, being securely oriented, being painfully disoriented, and being surprisingly reoriented. So we have orientation, we have disorientation, and we have reorientation. Does that resonate with anyone at all? Feeling like you know where you are, and then losing it. Feeling like you have everything figured out, and then it's gone. Let's break this down a little. Look at this on the screen. First, there's orientation is when the world makes sense for us. When we find ourselves in places of comfort and predictability, we know what we believe. We are secure in this. We know what we expect from God and other people. Things just feel, feel settled. But then there's disorientation. This orientation, it disrupts the status quo of our lives. It places us in a world that doesn't make sense the way it used to. Sometimes it's the loss of a relationship. Sometimes it is grief or trauma. It feels like wilderness. It feels like being lost. Some of the places of of stability and predictability that we always had before are no longer present, and we often feel in these moments discouraged and disillusioned, like we don't know where we can turn. Now, on a side note, I talk to, I have coffee with so many of you in this season and so many people who are not even a part of this church or can't even imagine being a part of a church who are in this season right now. And as prevalent as this can be, I hope you know that disorientation is not the end of the story. Because after this becomes reorientation. Reorientation is when the sheer grace of God pours out on us and takes these broken places, takes this disillusionment and disenchantment and makes something beautiful out of it. Walter Brueggemann writes that reorientation is not an achievement coming from us. It's not an automatic next stage ordained in our body, but it is something we receive when we did not expect it at all. Life falls into patterns of wholeness where we did not think it could happen precisely, and only because God is at work. Now, don't you see this here with this pattern with Peter here? He confesses Jesus as Messiah. He hears these words of promise from Jesus. We see his orientation. Everything in that moment makes sense to Peter. It feels like everything's coming together, but then comes these disorienting words of get behind me, Satan. His expectations of who he thought Jesus was going to be are completely shattered, and even with the best intentions of defending Jesus that he loved, everything changes. Stanley Hauerwas says that the moment you feel like you need to defend God, you know you're worshiping an idol. And in this moment, this is what Peter does. Peter tries to defend a God that does not need to be defended, and he finds himself disoriented in his faith. But then at his lowest, at his most confused, at his most disorienting moment, Jesus reveals who he really is. Jesus reorients Peter around the vision of Jesus, seeing the same Jesus in a New way. This is why I love this little detail about Moses and Elijah here, too, because I'm probably sure you're wondering why in the world is Moses and Elijah just showing up somewhere on a mountain after they've been dead for thousands of years? Well, not only is this supernatural, it's also very, very symbolic. You see, Moses represents the law that was given to God by his people, Elijah represents the prophets or the voice of God calling out in repentance and hope. When Jewish people would hear that that phrase, the law and the prophets, you know what they heard? The Scriptures, the Old Testament. Think about what is happening here literally. In light of Jesus, we now see Moses and Elijah. In the light of Jesus, we now see the law and the prophets. In the light and the glory of Jesus, we now see the Scriptures as they actually are. Meaning for us that not only do we see Jesus through the Bible, we now see the Bible through Jesus. We now have a full understanding of what the story is telling us. We now interpret the Scriptures through the lens of who Jesus is and not in some proof-texting way that gets to pick and choose what you would like. Now Jesus is our hermeneutic. Jesus is our translation of everything that's happening in the Scriptures, which is why I'm hopeful for us today as we look at this, because we become like all of us, what we are beholding. We become like what we worship. We become like what has our attention. And that same word for transfigured, metamorphoou, in the words of Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed, be transfigured, be metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. As we behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ, we become like him. We are also transfigured. Our minds are changed as we look to the glory of who Jesus has revealed himself to be. That's the good news of what we see in this story. As we see Jesus changed, we too will be changed as we look to him, amen? That's good news. And what I love most about this story is something that doesn't really get talked about with it. And that's that after this big, beautiful, glorious picture of Jesus is revealed, the very next thing that happens is when the lights go away, when Moses and Elijah are no longer there, the same Jesus who revealed his glory walks right back down that mountain with them. He walks right back down with them, meaning, and this is good news, that Jesus isn't up on some hill that we have to ascend to every time in glory that's outside of the context of our actual life. No, Jesus, in his glory, walks into life with us. There is no separation between the glory of God up there and the ordinary places down here because the same God in his glory reveals himself and then walks right down there with us to live those places of confusion and doubt and failure that we find ourselves in. That's good news. I will preach. I love that Jesus walked down That You know how many spiritualities present Christianity as a mountaintop experience that we have to continue to go back to over and over and over and over again. And a lot of times in the church, that's what we do. We try to recreate the mountaintop of the glory over and over and over and over and over again. But Jesus walked back down. He walked with the very people who he revealed himself to be. Meaning this big, beautiful vision of Jesus is not an either or with the ordinary places. It's not an either or. He can simultaneously be beautiful and glory and yet near to us, near to the broken heart in this. Because I know a lot of us are too tired to try to make it up one more mountain all over again. And the good news is, is that in your weariness, and your disillusionment, you don't have to walk up that mountain anymore. He's come down to you. He's come to you. The glory doesn't stay where it is. It's nearer than the air that we breathe. And that's good news to us, those of us today who find ourselves in these places of disorientation. I know that's many of you here. I know that's many of you who watch and listen and are wrestling through this. Many of you who I've had these coffee conversations with. Many of you who I have talk through some of the most difficult seasons of faith that they have found themselves in, this disorientation that feels like you don't know how to get to the other side. And I just want to encourage you today, keep going. Keep going. And and may I add this as well? There are voices who would love to keep you in disorientation, would love to keep you right where you are but you miss the glory of God revealed in Jesus when you keep going. You just gotta keep going and talk it out. This week in our newsletter, if you haven't signed up for it, I wrote a whole thing about how we navigate this disorienting place in our journey of faith. So you're gonna get that tomorrow if you signed up for our newsletter. If not, go ahead and sign up for it too. Because I feel the weight of what a lot of us are walking through in that as we move forward in Jesus. And so as we close today, just in a very simple way, I wanna pray for that move into a time of communion and Hannah and the band comes and, and just pray as we're moving into this, crying out that the glory of God, that we would see it. As Moses cried out, show me your glory. Show me who you are. Show me the fullness of who you can be, Jesus. Where I am, I need the grace in my wandering, in my failure, in my hurting. I need to see you as you really are. And I need you to walk down that mountain with me. I need you to walk down that mountain in my journey where I am right now, Jesus. And so, Lord, for whatever reason, Lord, you've made this community of faith one that gathers a lot of people who are in this season. And that's that's a privilege and an honor, God, that we get to, to serve and to walk and care for people in these places. Lord, I know we could stay there if we wanted to. We could bellyache forever together. We could complain about all the same things. But I want to see your glory. I want to be changed. I want to be changed. And so, Holy Spirit, in however ways you want to do that, whatever ways you want to Reveal that to us. Show us who you are. Reveal the glory of the transfigured Christ to us. Show us all of who you are and let us be changed as we behold you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for how you're going to reveal yourself to us in both simple and profound ways. So give us the grace to see and walk with us today.